0: Why don't we uh, begin with the word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to turn to you. And we're so thankful that in the midst of all the turmoil that we are in, that we know that no, none of this surprises you, none of this is outside of your control and you have the power to redeem all of these things. We just want to align our hearts, our wills with you to love you, that your will can be worked through us and that we can be part of your whole redemptive art for humanity. Father, we know you've called us to be in this time for such a time as this, that you have a purpose for each one of us. We just pray that, Lord, we can let go of our fears, let go of our um, distractions and whatever it is that is keeping us back from completely yielding to you. Father, we uh, thank you for this morning hour, this this quiet time that we have sung about, this opportunity to worship you. Lord, even if it's taking place in separate locations, Lord, we want to unite our hearts and our wills that as two or three are in this virtual place, Lord, that we know that you're not limited, you're omnipresent as we've studied. And we pray that your spirit would be unhindered in applying your word to our hearts and changing us into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Good morning, everyone. Um, I guess uh, Brother Doug pointed out uh, my uh, tie. That was—I uh, remember in Argentina—that was—that was—that was also the signal that uh, someone was going to preach. They only wore ties when they were about to preach. But uh, I felt that uh, it, uh, some of the uh, the uh, the slide of working from home and uh, doing church from home. I wanted to resist some of that and, and, and give God due, due respect this morning. Um, so the topic this morning, I just was laid on my heart to some of the things that are, are going on. We know that uh, a week ago there was... <laughs> You know, there was a different crisis that was uh, was occupying our mind, and it seems that we go from one to another. And now there's cities of af- a flame south of the border. And even our own news is taken over with this current uh, crisis. And in fact, we're not even allowed to be silent. Um, I, I had uh, Caleb Pitacaro here to helping me with fix something. And he said that, you know, the, the, the current word is that silence is violence. That uh, if you stand quietly by, you're, you're assumed to be guilty of um, oppression and and continuing the, this oppression. So, and even in my workplace, you know, we're, we're being pressured to take some kind of a vocal stand. And I know that's true for, for many others. They've given testimony to me. So, what is the stand a Christian should take? What is the biblical position that we should take on this uh, question about race and uh what is what is god's perspective on it so that that, that's the the question that i would like to address this morning from from the word of god um so i want to start off looking at acts 17 and just share the scripture for a minute here so in acts 17 uh we can read This was uh, probably, uh, this wasn't the first cross-cultural outreach that the Apostle Paul did, but I think it was one of the more dramatic ones where he found himself in Athens in the heart of a completely uh, different culture to the Jewish culture, the heart of, uh, of, of Greek civilization and Greek thought, and we can kind of see in this very fascinating few short verses uh, how he addressed this cultural divide between race and culture, uh, that from his unique uh, point of view, on on this past Friday, one of the questions that came up was about how do we share our faith with uh, those who are very different from us, and and you know this is something so deep and personal, and how how do we uh, come out with it, and and uh, here's here's someone who's who's coming. Again, with, to people who are totally unfamiliar with his worldview, with his God, with his religion. And that's increasingly the case as, as many more come from cultures that, that don't share our presuppositions or even a knowledge of our, our God. So how did Paul uh, deal with this? So here in Acts 17, now while Paul had waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the developed persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? And others, some, he seemed to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. So here we get to Paul's address. Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heavens and earth, dwell not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if halfly they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Forasmuch then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So he, this is a very interesting address because, as we can see in in the preceding verses, that these people, you know, this was strange to them. They had no clue of the, the context uh, that Paul was speaking from. So Paul is starting from zero with assuming nothing, and he starts off with the point that God made the world, and, you know, he uh, has made of one blood, all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. That we are all have one origin. And that is at the hand of God. And God has created us all. We, we can read together in, in Genesis uh, 1, verse 26 and 27. That God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we are not only created by God, but we are all. Created uh, in His image and have that intrinsic, inherent worth, uh, and we are all created with one purpose—that uh, you know—that we would seek the Lord, in that God is accessible to all of us, no matter what ethnicity or creed or geographical location, because. Even in our existence, so we, we, we sense him even as we live and move and have our being because that is in him. And we experience and we understand life and, and we look for justice. We look for right and wrong. We look for meaning. All these things point us to him so that even those, the poets of any culture, uh, are sensing in their experience of reality The image of God, the filter, even though it's cracked, even though it's distorted, they know that uh, we have an origin of meaning and a destiny thereof. Speaking of destiny, you know, we, we read, we've read in the very first chapter our origin in the image of God, all of us, and we read in the end in Revelations how from every nation and every kindred and every tribe, we will be around the throne of God, saying, "Worthy is the Lamb." So that is, you know, the ultimate. And again, all nations are included. So uh, we see the universality of God. We see that, but even so, we, we see in this verse that uh, that God has determined many things about nations. He's determined their times. Rise and fall of nations. He's determined the bounds uh, of their geographical control. These things are still under the sovereign power of God. And if you read Daniel, you can see uh, his prediction and his control uh, of these things, and even the demonic uh, fight over these things as well. Uh, so, and, and he concludes that, you know, the, the specific. Cultural issue that Paul was arguing with them is he could realize their distortion Uh, They understood that there was something to worship. They understood that, you know We are God's offspring, but they had this distorted idea about in their case Idolatry and God's pointing out how this does not make sense if you properly understand God and uh, So we need to you know lift our eyes from gold and stone and realize that we need to seek the Lord and we need to repent of our own actions. And, and he goes on, because he hath appointed a day, this is another universal, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man which he hath ordained, whereof he given assurance unto all men that he raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ being a universal proof to all men of the deity and divine origin of, of, of the gospel course, and we see this universal response, and this is true even in the response you're having right now to what I am saying and what has been preached from from our pulpit, you know, some mocked, others said, we will hear you again of this matter, but certain men clave and believed uh, and which you know, both men and women faithfully followed from then on in Athens and in- so of one blood um, the, the big battles that are happening right now we can see you know over maybe skin but there is one blood yes there are different genetic strains that have happened and we know the origin of of nations was in judgment at Babel when when uh, Nimrod Uh, had created uh, 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 his own attempt at control and culture and defiance of God. Uh, And there was a division of language and people were dispersed, dispersed. And things have happened to us over time that we've degraded our genes, but not increased them. Uh, This whole narrative about... uh, Evolution is so dangerous, so uh, has such devastating consequences, as we saw in the eugenics of, of not only uh, in this country, but of course in the Holocaust. As we can use these uh, eugenics and and evolution, and that some are more evolved than others. And Darwin himself pointed to this, trying to say certain races were inferior because they involved. Uh, Earlier and and so on and survival of the fittest and so on being a, a justification of, of even genocide. Whereas you know the reality is that yeah we we did get culturally isolated we got geographically isolated as 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 people were dispersed as we can read after Noah's uh, time there in the Table of Nations in Genesis chapter ten. And yet in our isolation, our gene pool have has devolved and we've accumulated errors over time uh, from God's perfect design. Uh, but that does not change our one blood. It does not change our one origin, our one purpose, our one value, intrinsic value. So let's uh, look at uh, the concept we've got one father as a scripture says in multiple places multiple places malachi two ten. have we not all one father hath not one god created us uh isaiah 64 4 now o lord god thou art our father we are the clay thou art our potter uh first corinthians 8 6 for uh, but to us there is but one god the father of whom are all things uh, and Ephesians 4, 6, one God and father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So we have this universality of God as father, as potter, as origin, creator, and ultimately judge. Now, what is God's principles about um, discrimination? I would like to turn again in the book of Acts to chapter 10 here. Uh, this is... a uh, Interesting because this was the very first uh, cross-cultural um, uh, breakthrough of, of the gospel. And Paul begins with Peter. And he's going to teach him something about his character because the truth is that each one of us blind spots... As to the character of God, as we've mentioned many times uh, in the past few years, I think the quote of Tozer that, you know, what we believe about God says is, is the most profound things about us and, and, and our own um, misunderstanding, weaknesses, and and, and, and deviance from the truth. And, and Peter didn't understand something about God. And so God is going to deal with Peter because the kingdom of God could not advance until Peter understood this principle. So here's the story. Uh, Peter uh, is going on the housetop in, Cesar, in, in Joppa, a port town uh, and on the Mediterranean, and he's He's hungry. Uh, It's the context because he has this vision and he sees heaven open and there's this big sheet uh, that's let down. It's got all kinds of animals in it, uh, but these animals are not all clean, according to Jewish kosher law. But he hears a voice. It's clearly a voice from heaven. Uh, That says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's being commanded to do something that all his upbringing, all his cultural taboos, even his religious instruction, has told him is wrong. Peter reacts and says, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spoke unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And this happened times and that sheet uh, was received up again into heaven and and peter is wondering he says doubting himself what this vision which you've seen should mean there we go again your image of god trying to understand meaning in your experience and this is a design god did this because he did was trying to teach something so peter's trying to understand what is god trying to tell me here? how could he possibly asking me to go against these taboos and eat pigs and, you know, uh, unclean animals here. So, and at that very moment, you know, God, and no coincidence, but but a God appointment has these men who were sent by Cornelius, who God told Cornelius, send for Peter and Joppa, because Cornelius was seeking God. There are around us my dear brother sister and friend there are lost people who genuinely are looking for truth there's lots of people who don't want to hear who are going to mock when they hear the truth but there are people who in sincerity are really looking for me experience in God is looking leaders that are maybe flawed may have misunderstandings but that he can teach and equip, to reach up to a hurting and lost and seeking world. And Cornelius is a great example of that. He has, he's got an intuition. He sees there's something to the Jewish religion. He supports them. And uh, and therefore, as he's praying to a God he doesn't know, God directs him to Peter. So uh, Peter's thinking about this vision and the spirit says, go, there's these three men. You've got to go and don't doubt to ask questions because this is from me so Peter goes down with them and they tell him about the Cornelius a just man and how he has been uh, had an angel tell him to send for Peter and so he goes with them from Joppa uh, they come to Caesarea this is now the Roman city uh, built after with named after Caesar and Cornelius is there in this you know pagan environment with all his pagan relationships and friends you know waiting to hear this truth so so peter just crossing this door is is crossing a boundary a a wall in his mind that he thought he would never cross but he comes in because god himself told him don't ask questions and so uh, Cornelius responds with this inappropriate worship. Peter says, it's not about me. It's about God. Stand up. And uh, now I want you to listen to these words here. And we're at now verse 28 of chapter 10. And he said to them, Ye know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto the one of another nation. For God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came unto you without gain, saying, as soon as I was sent for, I asked, therefore, for what intent you have sent me. And and Cornelius' response, four days ago I was fasting until the hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, saying, Cornelius, the prayers here, thine alms are had in remembrance the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside. Apparently Simon was a common name. Who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and now is well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Okay, and this is the verse I want you to listen to. These two. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, truly, truly, this is a true saying, I perceive, this is the lesson God's teaching me. And I'm finally getting, and I'm showing that in obedience and being stretched outside my comfort zone. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. And this concept, respecter of persons, we're going to see this is throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, here's God's word. On racism. In every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That is God. God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So we see that God does not value one nation above another. Now, I I can imagine there'll be some of you that are are, uh, raising objections, at least eyebrows right now, and say, wait a minute, you know, what about the Jews? Uh, You know, didn't God uh, give them a special treatment and special uh, um, uh, affection? Um, And uh, here is the truth that God does give and set bounds and and G and habitations in his in his sovereign plan he used the Jews as he explains in Galatians 3 in detail as a object lesson for humanity uh, to be a school teacher to bring us to Christ and that's where he's gonna get to right now now the time for that school teacher is over and we now open the doors and we apply this lesson to all of humanity. And God all along was had this plan that all nations, kindreds and tongues and, uh, would be uh, worshipping before that throne in the end. And this was his plan to use the Jew to reach the Gentile. Even as now he's going to say that he's going to use the Gentile to invoke the Jew who have gotten complacent in their special relationship with god and no longer value it i and and i fear my dear brother sister and friend that you know this is what's going to happen to us we here as the apostolic christian church as american christians have gotten complacent in the blessings that we have of, of our godly heritage and god may need to provoke us uh, with a different nationality, with a different culture that love him more sincerely and uh, enjoy his presence more visibly as a result. So, uh, the principle, respect for persons. This is not the only place that this has happened, right? Uh, we can jump all over the scripture and God's Point about respecter of persons. This is his word on discrimination. That God is a judge. He God is not racist. Okay, and here is what he says: If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. So, respecter of persons. This was kind of used in the Old Testament. knew that 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 the the natural inclination of the human heart is to respect persons. To to this is before you had the the word of white privilege. People do enjoy positions of privilege with respect to you. People may be your family. People may be uh, your nationality. People you know maybe of a higher socioeconomic bracket and therefore maybe in a better position to benefit you and you may be tra- you may be tempted to treat people differently because of the and so god has warned through the prophet priest and king that uh, we need to uh, avoid being motivated by respect of persons um that's that, so, you know, looking at the Old Testament, uh, here's this, uh, the Second Chronicles 19.7. That, yes, yeah, that is right. So this is God's instruction to judges because he wants them to be just. That you judge not for man, but for the Lord who is with you in judgment. Wherefore, let the fear of the Lord be a Take it and do it, for there is no iniquity which the Lord our God, nor respect of persons, nor taking of gifts. I remember when our brother, uh elder brother, when I was first converted, and he had this policy that uh, he would with the ministers. He made sure that he stayed with uh, with each brother and sister that he got to know. All of them, and he. I know my had to keep track of who he had visited, who he hadn't, so he got around. And he had this policy, though, that he would not take gifts because he felt that he was in a position of authority uh, over the congregation. He did not want to be blinded by gifts, as the Old Testament said, so that he would not, he wanted to make sure he was impartial and there was no respect of persons. Uh, and so. We can see this concept, even in the Old Testament, and the concept of justice requiring that there is no respect of persons. Uh, and we, throughout Scripture, we can see, so there's, there's a, an entire chapter about this. Those I know some of you studied James recently, James chapter 2, talks about the sin of partiality. Now, in this case, it's not about race. In this case, it is about socioeconomic, uh, but the principle of respecting persons, the principle of vulnerable persons, uh, the principle of privilege and and discrimination remains. So, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of glory with respect of persons. And he speaks about what happens if someone comes into your assembly, Obviously, Rich, do you immediately show him more respect and give him a, a seat of honor? And to the poor, you treat with less honor and less respect. He says, are you not then partial in yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? And and he's saying God does not value In fact, it's typically the poor of this world that are rich in faith and every kingdom. Uh, that he's promised to them to love him and you've despised the poor, you're not reflecting God's God's value where God values uh, those that love him those that are rich as opposed to those that you may receive material benefit from Um, so if you have respect to person sin and are convinced the law is transgressive, right? If you fulfill the Lord's law, law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well, but if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin. So the converse of loving your neighbor as well is to discriminate against your neighbor based on some of these criteria or on any criteria. Yes, we do recognize that people are different. Uh, and, and those differences are often god And And often we can work with people according to their differences and their culture. But what we're talking about here is honor. We're talking here about respect. We're talking here about uh, preferential treatment, right? Where there is a sense of privilege. And that is not in the kingdom. Uh, Jesus broke these cultural taboos. John four talks about him going to the woman of Samaria and breaking huge taboos and asking her for a drink. And she's, she's just like, that's the first thing she can't get over is like, why are you a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman, a sinful Samaritan woman? But she didn't have that qualifier. Jesus thought through it and knew it, though. And, uh, you know, we can see that to him, the gospel took priority over uh this uh his concern about being the sensibilities of uh, of cultural things that uh that assign different priority and respect to persons and we can see how he dealt with the situation very wisely and got her to understand her own sin. And then spent the weekend in Samaria And most Jews walked all the way I don't know how many hundreds of miles around and inconveniently to avoid going through Samaria from Galilee to Jerusalem. But he went and spent a few days there and 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 uh, shared the gospel with them, which was his purpose for all. Paul Paul had to deal with these these, these cultural conflicts. Uh, Galatians 2 is an in- interesting example where uh, Peter the one who's supposed to have learned this lesson at the very hands of God and Joppa uh, gets carried away um, and uh, because of the pressure of other of his cultural compatriots right of, uh, uh, of people of his own ethnicity that he felt this pressure from so he was come to Antioch. Paul withstands Peter because he was to be blamed because before he came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. He had learned the lesson, but when those Jews came from James from Jerusalem, Paul all of a sudden makes this distinction. He withdraw Peter withdraws, separates himself, fearing man, fearing those that are circumcised, fearing this cultural uh, um, uh, disapproval that you know Jesus also faced all the time and never allowed to influence him right other Jews dissembled the, you know as, as Peter did as the leader did they were drawn with him and then Barnabas was carried away and so Paul had to rebuke him and saying that you know this is this you're you're losing the sight of the gospel in fact this whole book the reason why he's bringing up this illustration is this whole book was about people who had lost sight of the grace of the gospel and had returned to to fulfillment of Jewish law uh, for their salvation <clears throat> Uh, 1 Corinthians 9. I, I really, really uh, have been struck by this as, as uh, critical. Um, so this is Paul. This whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 9, is about how Paul chooses to give up his rights and his privileges that he's entitled to in order to be more effective in the purpose he's called to of winning people over Says though for though I be free from all men, yet I have made myself a servant unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews that beca- I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. We know that, you know, he went back to Jerusalem and shaved his head, took a vow, went to the temple, all those things. Uh, to to the weak, to them that are without the law, as without the law, with the Gentiles, he ate, drank, and became with them culturally. But... Being not without law to God, that did not apply to the moral things, To uh, but he's under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak that I might, that I am made all things to all people, that I might by all means save son, some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Okay, application time here on this principle. We in our denomination um, we, we tend to be fairly homogenous, the Eastern European um, and uh, we you know have retained a lot of aspects of that particular heritage and culture. We need to be full, that even the beautiful and good things about the culture, not only the food and the music, um, certainly the love and hospitality, that we do not make that culture the measure, uh, but we that it's biblical adherence to principles of uh, of Christ. And that that is truly a measure. We've been blessed, uh, you know. Even you know us as denomination, we've gone far beyond. For example, other Anabaptists like, you know, the Mennonites and the Amish and so on that never broke out of the German heritage. We actually went cross-cultural, and we have more than one ethnicity with the, the Serbians and Hungarians and, and and ethnic Germans and so on in Romanians who all lived in that area. We we crossed borders. That, that that was progress because Cods always wanted to have us to be um, okay. I, I definitely want to make this point biblically. You'll hear uh, Pierre Trudeau and his son. You'll hear him quote things like "diversity is our strength," and uh, you may dismiss it as a thing that you was know, just a trite uh, slogan. But I would say these things come initially from scripture, where here you see in the early church you see a true to the melting pot. Did everyone have to give up their culture and become Jewish, take on Jewish law in order to be a part of the kingdom? Is it uh, something that uh, um, there was cultural homogeneity or, or or everyone had to become like Peter or everyone had to become like Paul? No. We see that God himself he loves Diversity. I'm looking outside my window and I see the color and I see the creativity of God in the animal kingdom, in the in the in the the, the flora and fauna. I don't know how many millions of types of insects there are. Right? Where God is so creative in variety, and in the church, and each one of us all uniquely. Though we are all in the uh, in Christ, we have his image, we are uniquely gifted. we given individual gifts, as First Corinthians twelve also says and even Ephesians four, that he's given gifts to all, and that uh, and that he's given some different roles, different gifts. Even like he gave Israel a different role, he's given people in the church a different role, different abilities, <clears throat> but these all these different roles and abilities all have the common purpose of perfecting, maturing, bringing to maturity, uh, and building up the body of Christ, and, and as we saw earlier, to reach a lost world that we can come into a mature and perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that Christ being the measure, one who has all these strengths. But well, we've given complementary strengths. And because our strength is complementary, First Corinthians 12 it clearly talks about the imagery of, of a body where you know we have different members of our body and they have complementary strengths and it's a good thing we're not all the eye or all the you know where would the hearing be, etc um we need these complementary strengths in order to be effective and so we don't want to say we don't want any ears in our church because we think seeing is superior we don't want to say you know unless you've got you know feet are the only where it's at because that's the only we can focus on one aspect and lose uh, the complementary whole that is God's design. And that's true even for ethnicity. Yes, different cultures and ethnicities have their own strengths. And, and I'm thankful that in our church, we may be, you know, uh, more, uh, we've had more people of different, you know, Asian and African people come through our doors and even become believers in our midst. And that's, that's a good and beautiful thing, but I don't think, you know, we've gone, I don't think we've come to the fullness of Christ. We've come to maturity in, in this respect. We need to be uh, culturally flexible like um, like the Apostle Paul was while being totally committed to the core of, of the Christian message and never compromising on that, which, you know, we are certainly under pressure. Okay, moving on. So what have we learned so far? We've learned that there's a unifying principle that all names have one origin, one father, one accountability and judgment, one purpose, but we have diverse gifts, diverse cultures, and diverse and complementary strengths. Applying this now, the very sensitive topic at hand which is the your black and white mm, police brutality and and uh, you know the horrific things that are happening uh, a lot of it folks south of the border we see that um, you know th- there's a disproportionate amount of say black people that uh, that's not even true. So even of those shot to death by police, you know, it was 88 black versus 172 white in 2020. But you say, well, that's not fair because only 13% of the population is black versus 64% white. So that's still disproportionate. Um, But yet there's a lot more, uh, you know, crime, you know, 52% 52% of the homicides were by black people versus 45% white. So there's, there's, there's these racial skewing that is going on. 4.7% of all blacks are in jail versus 0.7% of all whites. And, and if you read the, the, you know, the articles, they'll come up with, you know, the Wikipedia article will, will give you eight different theories about why we have this racial discrepancy, right? And of course, and this is, I think, the, the weakness of the secular models that are being proposed that our society is running because we have abandoned or we are deliberately ignorant, willingly ignorant of the true root cause of much of our negative behavior. Okay? Just call it as it is. It's sin. It. And, uh, because we're unwilling to deal with the problem, the heart of the problem, which is the problem in the heart, we are unwilling to really get help people. Now, we in our church had a little bit of experience. We, we were involved, uh, say, with Appellant Park, um, um, local public project down the road from our old church. And you know, I'm really thankful for Brother Dennis's courageous leadership. He really felt called by God to reach out to this community. And, you know, initially, you know, he was kind of being told the problem is poverty. The problem is these people are going to school hungry. That's why they can't concentrate. And, you know, let's start with a breakfast program. Let's give them breakfast because they're not getting it because they're poor. And and then, you know, of course, you know, we were going to also share the gospel while we're at it. But, you know, as the government got a, a whiff that we were going to be uh, incorporating a spiritual message, they kind of blocked us and came up with all kinds of excuses. And so Dennis was forced to, um, you know, he just, he took one of his storage units and converted it to a place of Bible study. Uh, because we couldn't uh, use the building where uh, the center of, uh, of the community was. But And initially, there was a cross-section of people that came, but what ended up happening is the people who had the deepest need that could be met there were the ones who came. And you know who that was? That was the young men who were starving, starving for positive male role models, There is a lot of angry young men out there because they don't have fathers present with them. Uh, Kwasi Mufumi, who's the, the the CEO of the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, he himself said that the absence of black fathers is a bigger threat than white racism. And and, and you know, Obama, the the black president, says we all know the statistics that. Without a father, there's five times a young man's five times more likely to get into poverty and crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and twenty times more likely to end up in prison. And uh, the and, and what's contributing to this is that you know even now I'm not talking about racially, all of America unwed mothers have gone from 1965 percent to 2015 41 percent, but it's even worse. For the black person, the colored person, because even in slavery, when the oppressive slave owners made marriage illegal, young men and women were more likely to be raised by both a mother and father than today. What does that say? Because black out of wedlock births have gone from 25% in 1965 to 73%. That means like three out of four in 2015 but before we get an any racial high horse here because this isn't about race this is about generational patterns the whites have also gone from 5% to 25% a five times worsening in the same time frame Uh, uh, Tupac Shakur who's uh, you know a a well-known black rapper you know, testifies in his own thing. I know for a fact that if I had a father, I'd have more, some discipline, I'd have more confidence, and that gangs provided the structure and protection that he needed from a father. He said, you need a man to teach you to be a man. So these things that maybe we see happening in the black culture They're not, they're still coming for us because we're on the same trend line. And so rather than getting into racial divisions and racial diversity, uh, I mean, racial, you know, yes, scripturally, you know, people tend to be biased and we need to go against that because God is not. We need to be not a respecter of persons. But if you want to be constructive as opposed to destructive, then you need to get involved. You need to have your own, and I'm going to speak to Christian men here, you need to step up and become a man in your own household to become a leader to show your own children what it means to be a man because you are being demeaned and attacked and the cultural message is that even if you're out there barbecuing, according to Gillette, you have toxic masculinity and that uh, you need to be ashamed of being a man, you you need to step up and to be a godly influence, but not only in your home. We need to go beyond that. And, And this is tough. You know, I will speak to my own limitations. I think we really tried to do the right thing, say in uh, Pelham Park, but it was hard. It is hard because there is—you've got to go against generational uh, patterns that have so much weight, and there are so many lies that are believed by the people. Of this young man, so much distrust of authority and of police, so much inbred ideas that the way to get ahead is to to simply, you know, either, you know get the easy life of crime or or the easy life dependent on government handouts you know that even if you tell model and show them and enable them that there's a different way their own mental uh they said they'll say you know this is edmund's trying to tell you a, a pipe dream you know you can't go out there and become uh, a, a tradesman you know you're from the hood you got it end up in the hood and do the things the hood does. And, and these are mental blocks. So it takes courage. It takes perseverance. And we can see God himself being the ultimate father, God himself pursuing us and having the courage and the vulnerability to get hurt in the process to redeem us from our own sin and our own lies that we believe uh, into um the uh, to to bring us into become more like him and to be more positive. Mm-hmm. So um, something constructive that we would like to do is, uh, you know, uh, some brothers uh, uh, came up to me. In fact, I got some of these statistics from them about having maybe even a Bible study for men to learn to be more godly and uh, more courageous, more Christ-like in that way. We'd like to start something along those lines. And if you are interested in being a part of, of that Bible study to learn what it's like to be a godly man, I want to encourage you to reach out to, to Brother Eric. Um, his email or, or phone number, I, I think we'll include that in, in the announcement so that uh, you can reach out to him and express your interest. We'd like to start that probably Monday nights. But that's not the point of the message, although hopefully it's one constructive call to actions that we can do. Um, Hopefully we, as the body of Christ, we are the solution. We can integrate diverse elements without fracturing along ethnic lines if we allow God to be our unifying father. And we allow his purpose to unify us. And we share our complementary strengths to in the process. And, in fact, I remember someone from a different racial, socioeconomic background who says, the reason why I like this church on Weston Road, he said, was because, you know, I came there and we were all at the same level. Didn't matter whether someone was an engineer or whether they were working in a factory, um, we sat together, we were all at the same level. And that is a powerful counter-testimony of an actual solution to the problems that are taking this world apart. And we are enabled uniquely because of that, that we are not in this tribalism, but we are unified of one blood that God has made us. So let us... Be that light that this world needs more than ever. May the Lord bless these few thoughts.